Hello and welcome to the Stress Sessions Mental Health Podcast with me, Luke. You're listening to Series 4, Episode 7 and this week I'm speaking to the amazing Maddie Bruce who is a YouTuber. But before I get into that chat with Maddie, I just wanted to say a massive, massive thank you to every single person who's reached out to me this week and just given me their support really. I've had a tough week and just by people whatsapping me just getting in touch like thank you um it's it's a tough time at the minute but I can say that I feel a week on a lot better than what I did um and that's just through going back to those you know the usual coping mechanisms that everybody should have in place so for instance mine is doing some exercise going out for walks getting off social media writing stuff down you know just all of like the really basic little things and they've really helped me but yeah the the kind of love and support that you guys have given me is just really really helped me so thank you thank you so much this episode does come with a little trigger warning because we do chat a little bit about self-harm but what I would say is if you're a parent or you're a school pupil that is in school at the minute this one is a really good listen because we do touch on the subject of having a mental illness while you're at school I suffered with anxiety when I was at school and so did Maddie so if you are a pupil or a parent please give this one a listen keep listening it's a good one and yeah without further ado here is the stress sessions with Maddie Bruce welcome to the stress sessions Maddie Bruce it's lovely to have you on here hello I am so happy to be on here and I mean, I wasn't going to say this, but we've done this before already, haven't we? We've chatted. Yeah. I, feel yeah. like, I feel like I've, I've talked to you more probably than some of my mates over the past couple of weeks. So honestly, um, yeah, we ha- we've had like hour long conversations already, so we're well prepped for this chat. Just to give the listeners a bit of a background, me and Maddie recorded one of these about two weeks ago. Was it two, three weeks ago? And yeah. it didn't record. <laughs> basically didn't record I mean it was mainly my fault well I'm gonna blame it on my wi-fi um but yeah it didn't record we had some great chats but we're gonna do it again and new stuff is gonna come up so I'm excited yeah it's gonna be good but again I'm gonna I'm gonna start with the same questions we did last time which is what is the one song that puts you in a really happy positive mood so it's a song that not many people have heard of but it actually is played on the radio quite a lot it's a song called desire by Subfocus and dimension and it's totally not even my usual genre of music because it's quite um drum and bassy but that's why I like it because it's so upbeat and it just makes me want to dance like every time it comes on I can't not dance so yeah, it always puts me in a good mood and reminds me of the summer and festivals and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't listen to a lot of drum and bass to be honest. But do you remember when what there was I? that period? There was that period, like I think it was about ten years ago. I mean, you're, I think you're a little bit younger than me, but where everything was like um, dubstep. Oh and no, that... I remember that because everyone had it on like their Sony Ericsson phones. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> even back in the day like drum and bass was still a massive thing like bluetoothing tracks to each other maybe not 10 years ago god like I'm a bit older than that but yeah (laughs) completely off topic but what happened to Sony Ericsson phones 
I don't know. I don't they know. Just disappeared. I love, like, yeah, they did. And like Blackberries, are they even still a thing? Um, I never had a Blackberry, but everyone at my school had one. And I was so jealous of BBM and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just suddenly occurred to me, like, what has happened to like two of the big, biggest fame brands from like, what, 10, 15 years ago? They just sort of died. Weird. Like, yeah, <laughs> weird. Does anyone know? <laughs> if you know, send a message in to stress sessions at gmail.com. We would like to know. Really, really <laughs> important question. I think it's doing mental health, just interested. But before we get into kind of any of the mental health stuff, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and kind of your background? Yeah. Um, so I am a content creator, I guess you call it. I started about maybe seven years ago now. Um, it kind of started based off the back of my own mental health struggles. Um, and I started like posting on Instagram and YouTube about all things. Like I do still post about all things to do with my life, but a lot of the focus of the content that I do is around mental health because it's a passion of mine to help other people and show them that they're not alone. And that, that's kind of where I found you from on YouTube. And I've I've watched quite a few of you few of your YouTube videos and they're really open and honest. I think you were even like very brave but very open and honest from a very young age about your mental health. And I remember back when I was, I don't know, when I, the first probably point I can remember suffering with a mental illness was when I was about 16, when my parents split up for a little bit and I was doing my GCSEs and my parents split up in the middle of me revising for them, which is really, it was, it was fucking horrible, like not a good time in my life. But I just remember being so sort of depressed and, didn't really know what to do myself and I think at that age you you're still developing into like an adult aren't you so you don't you you don't know how to feel and you don't know how to deal with those sort of situations what was it like for you to kind of speak about your mental health from such a young age and kind of how did that help you yeah so for me I was the exact same with my GCSEs my mental health massively declined when I was in school especially around the GCSE period because I put so much pressure on myself like I'm a perfectionist so um my parents never forced me to like do well or whatever but I was always a high achiever so that's the first time that I really noticed my mental health kind of declining and then when it comes to speaking about it online I basically kind of was chucked into the mental health world um like because when I was at school I had no idea that I was depressed like I didn't know that that was the word for it um that I was feeling at 15 16 um, so then when I was 17, my mental health um, took an even bigger hit and it went downhill a lot. Um, I got put into a psychiatric unit. So I was kind of, I never even knew that hospitals for mental illnesses existed at that point. I knew next to nothing about mental health. So I kind of was chucked into that environment, like didn't even do therapy, like nothing. So straight there. And so I guess I, I did a kind of crash course on mental health because I was then around other people that struggled with similar issues to me. Whereas before I'd never even noticed like people in my school, like no one ever talked about mental health, you know. So I then, you know, went to this hospital, spoke to loads of people. And it was actually a girl in there that I met who made me realise that it was okay to be mentally ill and to speak openly about it 
um, she could share with me like these Pinterest quotes every single day, you know, these really like motivational, inspiring quotes. And I love them. And I, I've kind of like always thank her for starting my own journey talking about mental health online, because when I came out of hospital, I was like, I don't know what I want to do with life. At that point, I still didn't want to be alive. Um, I just naturally found my way to social media to then connect with even more people who were going through the same kind of thing as me. And it just came naturally to me to speak about it so openly because I'd be ha been having these conversations in hospital. It was exactly like I was speaking to that friend, but just, you know, on a camera to people. I think back then as well, not as many people were speaking as openly and honestly, like seven or eight years ago online. Um, but it's just, it's almost like my online diary now. I just, maybe I'm an overshare, I don't know, but it helps people. So that makes me happy. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I think by essentially oversharing, you are helping so many people. And like, just by watching some of your videos from what, five, seven years ago, I was a bit like, that's amazing. Like that, it's amazing that you put yourself out there and were that vulnerable to be that open to help people out. And I think since I've been doing this, and I don't know if, it, if you felt the same by doing that. It kind of by sharing that sort of really kind of personal stuff, it does actually help you heal a little bit. And that mm -hmm. by being that open, I guess to complete strangers to begin with because you don't really know who your followers are you don't when you first start up you don't know anything about them and I feel, I feel like since since I've been running my Instagram page and doing these podcasts people the same people have followed me and reached out to me and supported me all along the way which which is lovely but you don't actually know those people when you start doing it so I think it is a little bit of relief when you start it's a bit of therapy isn't it when you start speaking yeah. to people that you don't know which is weird yeah it is it's like getting all of your thoughts and all of your feelings out. And then when other people say, oh, I feel the same, you're almost like, okay, I'm not alone. Like you're yourself making other people not feel alone, but they are also helping you. I think it's like a two way street. Like I love making videos because it helps me just like you lo love doing what you do because it helps you as well as it helps other people. And I think, I don't know about you, but sometimes I actually find it easier opening up to complete strangers than my friends. Like a lot of the time, my friends will find out how I'm feeling through my Instagram or through my YouTube. And I, because I don't really know how to bring it up. So that's just become a natural way. Like even my mum will be like, oh, I saw this on your Instagram story today. Like, you know, she uses that as a way to check in on me, which my friends and family are amazing. So like, I have no reason to not go to them, but it's just somehow easier. I totally agree with that because my instagram page and this was kind of a way of telling everybody about it so i do i didn't want to have mm. to go to all of my friends and family and go i i suffer from a mental illness why not blanket cover everybody and tell everybody what yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like it's like what it it's probably like a bit more hard hitting for people that are closest to you but you would generally tell the people closest to you but you wouldn't go up to like a friend that you haven't seen in like two years that you're meeting for a drink on a one-off or do you know what I mean like somebody on a mm -hmm. on the odd occasion and go oh yeah I suffer from mental illness whereas if you just announce it and they follow you on social media they know instantly and it's like cool that's done tick <laughs> yeah exactly exactly like you say it's a blanket you know 
now everybody knows everybody can see it and like if they want to speak to me about it they can if they want to just not talk about it then that's also fine and going back to when you were at school and like struggling with exams and being a perfectionist and stuff when was the kind of moment that you realized that you had a mental illness or you, you sort of said you didn't know what a mental illness was and I agree like when I was a teenager I didn't know what it was I didn't know what I was experiencing but when did you kind of hit that point where you think oh this isn't quite right I think probably around 14 um because that is when I started self-harming I had not seen self-harm on any social media because I think back then it was like Bebo or something was the main social media yeah, <laughs> yeah do you remember Bebo? um so it wasn't anything that I'd seen anyone else do or seen online. It was just something that I came to myself as a way to punish myself. And it was actually, um, it was two things. It was the exam thing, because I think at 14, it was like year nine. So that's when you, they start you early, like preparing for GCSEs. I think I even took a science GCSE at 14. Um, so that pressure came upon me. And I also was really, really into guys, you know, like I put such a massive emphasis on being liked especially by like older guys so you would go for guys like a couple of years above you and you thought that was really cool and you know so then you know I remember the first time was I was rejected by this guy and I just thought well that's it like I'm a worthless piece of shit essentially because this person doesn't like me back um so that's when I started struggling with self-harm and yeah it then just got worse like when my actual GCSEs came around I studied so hard and left no time for like looking after myself or enjoying life as a normal 16 year old I just thought this is so important like I had my future fully planned out I've definitely gone way way off piece with that um but yeah like at 16 know like expecting to know exactly what you want to do with the rest of your life is such a huge pressure I feel yeah yeah it is and I, I had this conversation with my wife the other day actually because we were like the the job the jobs we're in at the minute so I work in internal communications so like I write my, my job every day is to write stuff so I don't speak this and I did this to start speaking to people because I'm I was shit at it basically um you wouldn't catch me doing this a couple of years ago I would have had my camera off I would have been on mute for most of the time and been shit scared so yeah Uh, (laughs) but you don't really pick what job you want to go unless you want to go into like a specific job like oh I want to be a nurse or I want to be a policeman or I want to do this so you do the training for that specific role you just kind of get pigeonholed into a role I think when you're that age and I think did you so did you go to university Yeah, I did. I mean, my university story is a bit weird. So basically, from a young age, I knew that I wanted to be a lawyer, in specific, a criminal barrister, because I was so fascinated with the law and with criminals. For my work experience, I mean, maybe this was damaging to my mental health at the time, I don't know. Age 15, we had a family friend who was a judge, so I would go with him for work experience and sit in the courtroom and watch murder trials. I was fascinated by that. Yeah, I know. (laughs) But like, I didn't, it it didn't faze me. I was just so intrigued into like, and I was looking at these people and I was like, you're literally murderers. Like I can literally see you. And I got to like look through some of the evidence and stuff. And it was, yeah, it was amazing. So 
I knew that I wanted to do that because I've had to argue for a lot of things if I wanted them when I was younger so for example like I wanted a double bed and I had to literally make a case to my parents as to why I should get a double bed. I wanted a TV in my room. I had to make a case to my parents as to why I should get a TV in my room, stuff like that. Um, so I kind of developed a natural tact of like putting together like an argument. So I then, you know, at 16, I was like, in all the top sets and they kind of talk about like Oxbridge and stuff like that so I was on that track and then when I went to college I got put in like the gifted and talented group whatever and so we would literally do trips to Oxford and Cambridge and it was like basically which one do you want to go to to study law um and I would do like courses there on how to get into the unis and like we'd stay over there and do law courses or whatever so I was doing all this in my first year of college and then I had a mental breakdown and all of that went out the window and to be honest I'm glad because I think I would have had like a worse um, mental breakdown if I was to study at one of those unis because god like they're tough um so after a kind of year so I had got out of hospital wasn't really sure what I was doing I'd started my YouTube I thought actually I can go back to college and redo my A-levels and maybe go to uni so I ended up going to uni just Southampton uni which was like 15 minutes from home but I did move out into halls for like a uni experience <laughs> but still went home to like have food and like get my washing done for me and um, I went and studied criminology which was like I saw it as a a bit lesser demanding than law um and still quite interesting although it wasn't that interesting um the whole first modules were on like old people and crime and that was just really weird like old people crashing their cars and stuff like that and I was like this is not the murderer stuff and that's really weird (laughs) yeah I know I know obviously not all the modules are going to be like what you like but I just at that point my YouTube was also taking off so I kind of decided after three months of going to uni I did like the freshers I had my fun and then at Christmas, I was like, I, I really don't want to stay here. I could do YouTube as a job and decided to drop out of uni. And thank God YouTube worked out. And my parents were so supportive. Like at this point, they were just like, we just want you to do anything that makes you happy. Because they'd spent so long being so scared that, you know, I was going to take my own life. They Their mindset changed into like, just do what makes you happy like as long as you're alive and you're content-ish then we're fine with it so yeah I mean that's that's really good to hear that your parents were supportive because I think in some cases people's parents aren't so supportive and I think it depends on again how old your parents are because like again my parents are in their 60s so they they understand mental health and they understand what the, the cogs in that wheel well, that's a really weird phrase for me to use <laughs> you, you know what I mean but um, yeah they get it but they don't understand how to kind of help me if that makes sense did you what were you what were your experiences with your parents in terms of kind of them understanding how you were feeling and kind of how did they help you through kind of that period they had no clue about mental health just like me at the beginning I remember going to my parents when I was doing my GCSEs and saying I don't feel normal I don't feel like myself 
I didn't say that I felt depressed, but I was describing feeling depressed. Um, and my dad just turned around to me and said, oh, it's just your hormones. So it was kind of brushed under the carpet at that point. And then I think as my, I actually, so I, when I was then 17 and started college, I took myself to the doctors in secret and didn't tell my parents. And I, um, that's when I first started antidepressants. Um, and so I kept my mental health journey very hidden from my parents at the start. It wasn't until it was too hard for me to hide it. Um, I mean, you know, my mum one day walked in on me self-harming and absolutely broke down because she'd had no idea all these years that I had been self-harming. And so for them to then see kind of how serious it actually was, that's when I think there was a shift. Now, my dad, he's in his 60s, so I feel like he's he's great. But like you said, it, it took him a while to get to grasp with things and he would still say the wrong thing whereas my mum was very much like she's very loving and nurturing and just wanted to do anything that made me happy so you know when I was in hospital I didn't actually really speak to my dad much because he'd said something literally on the way on the journey to hospital that really really upset me so I kind of ignored him and just had my mum as like my main person and then when I'd get leave from hospital my mum would sleep in my bed I mean she slept in my bed with me for about six months and took time off work to become like my sole carer um and then we did like family therapy and stuff the hospital made us do family therapy which was interesting but then when I got out I think mine and my dad's relationship changed we became a lot closer we had more conversations and you know the hospital told them things of what to do to keep me safe, what to do in this situation, like here's the crisis line, um, look up all the shots, like we we still to this day have a medication cabinet with a lock on it, like it's like obviously, you know, back in the day that was dangerous to me, it's not now, but it's still there. Um, so yeah, my parents have, it's taken them a while, but they are like so supportive and still to this day so supportive, like they're really proud of what I've achieved, I always thought like, you know, I didn't become this lawyer, so I've kind of disappointed them, but they are just happy that I've kind of found this other thing that makes me happy. And the thing is, you've done it off all off your own back. So you didn't need a law degree to go and do what you wanted to do. You've literally just created mm-hmm. this whole thing all by yourself, built it up from the bottom and like smashed it. So fair play. Thank you. It doesn't feel like it some days, but thank you. <laughs> But the thing is, with with like stuff like what you've done, people don't realise how much effort that you've put into building it. And I think that mm. like until you put yourself in like your position and what you've had to go through to achieve that, you kind of you. I mean, you probably look back and go, "Oh shit, I've actually like done pretty well with this, and it's it's actually turned out really well and better than what I expected it to." So like, it's. I think until you look back at what you've done, you don't really realise that. Yeah, 100%. And I don't look back enough. Um, it's something that I'm really trying to work on because I live very much at the moment in the now and it also in the future. So my main issue at the moment is anxiety, um, which is very much, I'm just in my head a lot overthinking things and I'm also anticipating things going on and wrong in the future. So I never really look back and think oh wow you've done this and even if I do 
look back and try and congratulate myself for it I am so hard on myself like so so hard I'm a perfectionist like I mentioned so anything I do will almost not be enough so I have to really work on that aspect of myself of saying like you achieved that and you achieved that with a diagnosis of BPD which is uh, the mental illness that I was diagnosed not until I was 21 was I actually diagnosed with um, what I have so it took a long time to actually put a label on my mental illness and I'm going to ask a stupid question what is BPD <laughs> not a stupid question at all I mean I even find it hard to describe um, but I would say it's like a more condensed version of bipolar. I feel like a lot more people are, you know, familiar with bipolar. So with bipolar, and this, this is not to say that this is how it is for everyone, the highs and the lows are over like a longer time frame. Whereas with BPD, it is far more condensed. Like it is like hourly, it is minute, you know. So your moods are up and down all the time. It's essentially, you can't really regulate your emotions. You can be angry one minute, sad the next, happy, well, rarely happy, but you know. So all over the place, um, you can also, well, most people with BPD have issues with abandonment. They have issues with rejection. They often find relationships with people quite difficult, like friendships and romantic relationships. There's also, um, you know, a high rate of suicide attempts and self-harm in people with BPD. And yeah, I mean, there's lots of symptoms. There's like a whole list of criteria that you have to almost tick to become diagnosed with BPD, which is why it can take such a long time, because it, it can look like a lot of other mental illnesses. I mean, I was just told that I had anxiety and depression. But like I mentioned earlier, when I was 14 starting self-harming over a boy like it was very clear from a young age that I put so much importance in like other people's perception of me and that rejection led me to do really 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 like extreme things essentially. So when you self-harmed did did you did you do it as like a relief or did you do it as a, an intention of like I'm gonna end my life and I, I don't want to be in it, be here anymore or was it or was was it kind of a spur of the moment thing because I think that when I, I've never self-harmed before so I don't I don't really know what it's like so I I would probably sit from two ways like I just said like so it's either to end your life or it's to have relief on the problems of what you're going through at that that time if that makes sense yeah so I would say the majority of the time it was as a release or as a punishment I mean there's so many reasons why I've self-harmed in the past and why people do self-harm but it's mainly been I'm not good enough or I'm feeling angry or I'm feeling like I need an emotional release so like this is what I'm going to go to but on some occasions I did end up in the hospital after self-harm attempts because those were more focused on ending my life um I think yeah you can differentiate between the two um when you look at kind of the emotions and and you know what's going on at that point of time but yeah no the majority of it was just because 
I wanted to punish myself and it becomes an addiction that's the thing is like it becomes like any addiction where you just use it as a coping mechanism to for anything like anything happens in your life and that's what you turn to so in therapy a lot of it is you know finding healthier coping techniques instead of using the self-harm and that takes time like it takes a long time to recover from self-harm and of course you have relapses and stuff like that it's a it is a very very hard addiction to break and still like now like I am so far along in my recovery but I'll still have the thoughts and it's all about learning how to deal with those thoughts I think instead of acting on it like sitting with them and then you get taught like all these alternatives like sometimes people will put a rubber band around their wrist and ping that to get the like pain sensation or squeeze an ice cube and yeah there's there's loads of alternatives and it is possible I one of my main messages that I want to convey online is that it is possible to recover from self-harm and this is a bit of a wanky question to be honest but it's just a really generic one what would you say is like your top tip for like coping like just coping with everyday life what is there is there like one thing that you always default to that really helps you be the best that you possibly can each day I have two things so one of my main coping techniques which is not the best coping technique but it works for me is distraction whenever I am feeling overwhelmed or any kind of emotion I will distract myself with something nice and you know that's something that I learned um, in DBT therapy is, is distraction and almost acting opposite to how you feel so if you feel worthless you feel like you don't deserve anything do something nice for yourself for me distraction comes in you know it could be like Netflix it could be like taking myself out on a walk but anything that you can do to snap yourself out of the mindset I find really really helpful and the second one is it sounds really weird when I say this and I never know how to explain it but thinking about the world on a grand like a grander scale zooming out I think that's the technique is zooming out from your head and thinking how weird it is that we are on this planet and we all like have these things called jobs and we go and we do these things in our daily life like I like to think just how bizarre life is so it almost gives me like a different perspective like takes me out of my head I've never heard of that one before I've never heard of that that's really interesting that's really interesting because it's kind of like having like a massive bird's eye view isn't it of like yeah oh, this is it's kind of like zooming like you said zooming at right out and going mm-hmm. there's there's billions of people on this earth and I'm one of them and I'm a really small part of that that's yeah I, I like that I've never yeah, thought of it like that before I yeah. find it really helps me when you're in your head a lot of the time with mental illness you can get so caught up with the smallest things so when that happens, I like to do the zoom out technique and just think about life and the world. Yeah. I'm going to try that. I've never, honestly, I've never heard of it. Oh, good. <laughs> never heard of it. Because that's kind of, it's, it's similar-ish to like, well, the one I always do is, again, it's a bit like generic but I always think, so me and my wife say it to each other, or, or whenever she's like having a bit of a hard time, I'm always like, has anybody died? Has anybody been really badly hurt? or 
have they passed away, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, okay, well, we can keep going then. Like, it's fine. We can keep functioning as human beings. We can keep going on with our day-to-day life. Um, and that sort of works for me because it's like, if one of us is going through like a panic attack or crying or something like that, it's like, no, like nobody has died. Um, and I don't know what we'll do when somebody actually dies because that'd be a bit weird. Because they'd be like, oh, somebody has God. died. So what do we do now? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. But, that, but that's, our, that's kind of my go-to with stuff um but I suppose when somebody dies I'll go to the zoom out one (laughs) yeah a hundred percent like thinking about life I do think like with the has somebody died it is that it is a good technique in like my psychiatrist he gets me to rate things so with my anxiety I will rate things like you know my fridge broke the other month and I was beside myself I I was freaking out about it like overthinking absolutely everything and anything to do with it my psychiatrist did a thing with me and he got me to rate like what my anxiety was and what I thought my anxiety should be you know out of 10 like my anxiety was probably like a seven or eight but where should it be my fridge is broken like come on so it should probably have been like a two or a three but that's anxiety for you I also think it's important to note that we shouldn't shame ourselves in feeling this way. And just because somebody hasn't died doesn't mean that what you're experiencing like isn't important or traumatic or whatever. Um, but it is important to yeah give ourselves that like reality check in that you're safe in this moment. Like everything is going to be okay. Like you're going to figure it out. I think mental health, mental health like when when you get that when you when you're in a bad place it's re- I think it's quite situational as well so I think it's like so for, for instance with your fridge breaking on one day you could look at that as like oh my fridge is broken it's fine like just take the food out move it to somebody else's fridge and then go buy a new fridge and you could be fine with it another day like you did you could kind of react to it in a completely different way and it could be the worst possible thing that could happen to you at that point in your whole life Mm -hmm. I think it's just situational I think it's it's all dependent on other little tiny things that I think have happened in your day that kind of completely escalate something that's not actually that bad yeah a hundred percent like if I'm in an anxious mindset because other things have gone wrong and it's usually the case where I don't want to use that old cliche bad things come in threes but like a couple of other things have gone wrong that day and then that happens and they're all really really small things but when you struggle with mental illness the small things can really set you off because it's not that thing it's you overthinking it's like you overthinking oh maybe how am I going to pay for this fridge like um oh what am I going to do like I don't feel strong enough to be able to ask anyone else to use their fridge like I'm too anxious to do that like oh no like how am I gonna like have food for the week or whatever? You just start catastrophizing. Sorry, catastrophizing with everything. That's what I do with a lot of small little things. That's what anxiety makes you do. Is just just snow. It's a snowball effect. You just overthink and overthink and overthink, and you think it's the end of the world when it's really, really not. I did it last night. I I catastrophized the situation yesterday. So we we went to London to. So we, do you, have you heard of the Wolf and Our podcast? It's it's with no. um, R- Ramesh Ranganathan and Tom Davis. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So we went them. we went to see that live in Hackney, and we. I, so I got my phone after it finished, and I was like, right, we can get this train, we can make this one, blah blah. blah. 
we got to Hackney Tube Station overground and missed that train by like 30 seconds. And I was like, that's fucked it. That's fucked the whole situation. We're gonna we're not gonna make that train. And I was like getting all worked up, worked up and just spiraling basically like 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 I do. <laughs> um and my wife was like, we can just get the next train. And I was like, but we can't get the train that I've now got in my head that I wanted to get. Um and when when you're in that mindset of I really want to do this thing now that it's in my head, that's really hard to get past I think and it's it happens to me on like a weekly basis I swear but like does it happen to you oh my god a hundred percent that exact example you've given me about trains is exactly how I feel I have spent so long and I don't know what it is I get really anxious around timings and train timings and you know having to be in places so I live in London now but when I didn't live in London I would commute in a lot for my work and if I missed a train it would be the end of the world so I spoke about that a lot in therapy and we went through a load of different techniques and you know one of the main techniques that my psychiatrist made me do is what's the worst that can happen like you almost follow that like catastrophization in your head and you kind of go through the steps of what happens okay so what happens if I miss my train then I'm going to be late for my meeting and then what you know, you you either let them know you're late and they'll be fine with that or you can reschedule that meeting. You know, how important really is that in the grand scheme of things? So I'm like that when I go on holiday, I have to be at the airport like three hours before because I'm so worried that I'm going to miss a flight, you know? And I'm I'm also like that with trains and with getting places. And also, like you said, with the not being able to let go, that that was how it was supposed to happen. I was supposed to get that train and then you have an idea of how something is going to go and then one thing goes wrong and so everything is just like a mess and I find that really hard to deal with is like something going wrong and changing the entire sequence of how things were supposed in inverted commas to go. How how do you get past those situations? Like how do you deal with them? Because my, my way of dealing with it last night was I, I then thought I'm going to get the later train but my way of getting around that in my head was I'm going to go to MS and get a drink so yeah. then I was like I'm in I'm in control of this situation now because before that next train I'm going to go to MS, buy myself a drink before the train and then I've done the thing that I wanted to do do, do you know what I mean it, in my head it made sense and it, it, that's the way I dealt with it yeah that makes total sense I'll do the exact same thing so like look at the positives you've got more time now you're not rushing so you can go to the shop and get something for yourself like I I'm not really sure how I go about it I just think I use acceptance a lot I just accept that that's the way it is and I also believe that that's the way that things were supposed to happen so a lot of the time like I don't know I'll I'll be stuck in traffic or something and I'll start getting agitated and then I'll think well I'm supposed to be stuck in this traffic because if I was moving then maybe I would have been involved in a car crash or something later down the line like does that make sense like if you bring it back this is so random such a random um and what's the word example the people who couldn't make it to work to 9-11 on the day of 9-11 the people that were stuck in traffic on the day of work to 9-11 
they survived. So I think a lot of the time, if I don't make a train or if I'm stuck in traffic or whatever, I think this is for a purpose. Like if I was to, you know, be make that journey, then something bad could happen. So I'm supposed to be here. I'm just going to accept it. Um, yeah, like you said, look at the positives. What can I do now? I'm going to go to Avanas and buy myself a drink. It is that classic thing of everything happens to a reason, isn't it? Yeah, it's- yeah, exactly. I, I was trying to skirt around it because I don't want to say that it's like, exactly. Just br- but yeah. Just bring out yeah. the wanky phrase. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, I, do, I do think that that is... It's a, it's a real thing because it's mm-hmm. I don't know, basically we wouldn't be in the places we are now had yeah. the decisions we had not made or had made don't know where I'm going with that but you know what I mean no well exactly like you and I wouldn't be sat here talking on this podcast if you know things had gone as we wanted and gone perfectly like obviously I would be well I don't know maybe being a lawyer stressed out like not earning much money still but now I'm in a completely different place and I'm thankful for that because of all the stuff that's gone in inverted commas wrong with my mental health I actually have a lot to thank for my mental health like a lot of the time when I think negatively about how it impacts my life I also then like to look on the flip side and think well you wouldn't have all of this without your mental health struggles so You touched on it earlier, but I, I wanted to bring it up again because I was like, I'm quite interested in it. High function anxiety. What what mm. is that? Because I, I watched your video on it and I was like, mm-hmm. I get that. Like I, I I could see some of the traits in myself with that. Like, can you kind of talk me through what it is and how did you find out that you've got high functioning anxiety? So High functioning anxiety is essentially you're still able to go about and live your normal life, but inside, like you're a mess. So on the outside, people see me doing all these amazing things and I get to do so much for for my work that I'm so grateful for. I get to travel, I get to go to amazing events, meet amazing people, like live a lifestyle that um, I'm really, really happy with. And on the outside, people must think, oh, she's so confident to be able to do that. But actually, on the inside, if you heard my internal monologue, like I get so anxious, like I said, about my flipping fridge breaking. So imagine me walking into like a room of people by myself, like it, it is a lot. So I think with high function anxiety, there's loads of different symptoms to it. But it's essentially you, you, your daily life isn't impaired to the point where you're not leaving your house because of anxiety that's how I would describe it for me like I mean on Sundays don't get me wrong like I'm I genuinely don't feel up to leaving my house um because I'm too anxious but you your anxiety presents itself in the way that you might get paranoid in friendships if someone doesn't text you back like you you then start to catastrophize like we spoke about oh this person doesn't like me anymore blah 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 when in reality they're just working and they haven't looked at their phone um so yeah I would say you're still able to do things and be in social situations but it just doesn't mean that it's easy for you I think that a lot of people would have that as well because Pete Mm. it's kind of just sort of pretending that you're all right but you're not and I think a lot of people will do that on a day-to-day basis so for instance I 
well, I've I've a one time with my manager every Friday. Not today because he's he's on annual leave, but every time he starts the meeting, he's like, "Oh, how are you? Like, how how's it going?" Blah blah blah. And I'm always like, "Yeah, yeah, all good, yeah." And you just even if you're not okay, you just to, just so you don't have to talk about it or go into any detail. You just go, "Yeah, yeah, I'm fine." And then I think it was last week. I said to he he says to me, "How are you?" And I was like. Yeah, I'm all right, but and I actually said to him like I'm struggling a little bit at the minute, and this these are the reasons. And then because I because I opened up and said I'm struggling, he then told me about how he was in in more detail, and it was it was a really nice conversation because one I got to find out a little bit more about my manager because outside of work you don't, especially in these times like when it's like you don't really work from the office as much. I feel like you don't get to know people as much as what you would do if you're office mm-hmm. based. It's just nice to have a chat, but like, it's nice to just talk about it. And I think I I usually put on that front, I think, in work situations just to look a little bit more, more professional. Whereas I think that because I opened up and then my manager opened up, we respected each other a little bit more for that. And we and as two blokes, I was like, wow, this is like amazing. Like I wouldn't even usually do this with my mates I wouldn't tell my mates about this like before the last two years and it's I think that that might be a resolve around high function anxiety that it's being more open maybe I don't I don't know I don't know what the answer is but like that's that's one instance where I usually put on the front and pretend I'm all right on the outside um go on webcam look all happy and be like yeah I'm all good it's all it's all fine but just by opening up and having that open up honest conversation with something that you wouldn't do usually, it made things a little bit better. Yeah, a hundred percent. I completely agree with you. If it's even if it's with your friends and you're out and you just say to them, Hey guys, like I'm kind of dealing with some stuff, like I wanna be here with you, but you know, if I if you find me like, you know, daydreaming or whatever, like, you know, I've got stuff going on, but um I definitely agree with you with the work thing like I stopped answering emails like hey I'm good how are you like if I am genuinely struggling sometimes I'm like oh I've had a bit of an anxious week and then the response I get back from that like people will come back to me and be like oh like I totally know how you feel like they they then will open up to you because you've then been honest instead of the generic like yeah I'm well how are you you know but that's going back to the whole isn't it weird that it's easier to say stuff like that to complete strangers than to people you actually know? Mm-hmm. But what, what, why is, why is that? Like, why? I don't, I don't know what the answer is. I think for me, it's almost like because they don't seem like real people, people online. Like, I don't really, I know they're real people, and I interact with so many of my followers. Like, I can see they're real people. I can see by their profiles that they have these amazing lives that they lead. But like, so. I am so comfortable with speaking with, I don't know how many subscribers I have on YouTube, but like over 150,000 people. I'm so comfortable turning on my camera and being so open. If you were to put me in a flipping like stadium with 150,000 people, oh my God, like I would not be able to speak to that many people. So it's that kind of like disconnect with actually like seeing them as real people and just kind of, I don't know, like... I I honestly don't know the answer either, but I think that's a little bit why it is for me. I I think it is what you said. 
you don't see them as real people. So, so for instance, going back to your being the stadium full of people, what would what would you do if you couldn't see them and it was complete black, like it's complete darkness, and you were right there on a stage, the stadium was full, but you couldn't see any of the people because it was so dark. How would you deal with that? I would still be so scared because I'm on a stage. Right. Like that's not I'm not in my bedroom. <laughs> like I would know that they were there. So I th- I think that it's just the environment, isn't it? Like I find my bedroom yeah, yeah. like a safe place to be, like anywhere else. Like no, it's a no for me, even if it's pitch black. <laughs> yeah, it's it is it is based on where you are, I suppose. Because I think like this this is my like little safe space. I do everything in it. Like I, I work, so my work laptops here. I do my podcasts. Like, I've got my projector, so I play Xbox on the wall. Like this is my little like. I come here to just get away, shut the door. Like, mm-hmm. this is my safe space. So, yeah, I think it is, again, really situational about your surroundings, where you're comfortable. And, I, yeah, I, I chip myself on the stage speaking in front of people. I'm the same. <laughs> it's one of my goals for this year is to, like, do more public-facing stuff. Like, I would like to do that more in the future. Um, but, yeah, like, speaking in front of a crowd definitely does not come naturally to me. No, but the thing is, like, it might do when you do it, because yeah, again, I, I, if you if you listen back to the first few of these I did, I couldn't speak at all. I wish it wasn't that bad. Like, I, I'm very critical of myself, but compared to that, like, I wouldn't be as open and on, I, I, I would literally sit here like this, like just com- it completely still. Um, I wouldn't interrupt the other person, which I guess is a bit rude if you do anyway, but. Yeah. but I I wouldn't I would be really like because I I mean I before a couple of the questions I've asked you I've said like if you don't want to answer it you, you don't have to but I wouldn't even approach those questions before I wouldn't I wouldn't mm. have the balls to do it but it's like I think once you start doing something you do get used to it and that, that's that's why I like doing this that it's it's helped me develop as a person because I wouldn't have dreamt of doing this a few years ago. And it might be, it could be the same for you with public speaking. Like you could just crack that anxiety that you have about that and you're doing like stadium tours and shit. Oh God. Well, let, come back to me in a year. We'll see. We'll see uh, how we're doing. But yeah, I mean, like you say, I wasn't as confident as I am now with YouTube. I was still talking about the same kind of things when I first started, but like, I feel like my voice was just so much more more timid and like didn't really change a lot and then now I'm so expressive and I use my hands and I'm like you know I feel like I've definitely become um so much more comfortable so yeah it's really good to see like especially for you you can literally see your progress and things so yeah fingers crossed let's uh do things that scare us push ourselves outside of our comfort zone that's what what life is for right (laughs) you're like Maddie Bruce Stadium Tour 2024 (laughs) one person shows up (laughs) I'll be there like hi (laughs) (laughs) what would you say is your happiest place in the world oh god that's a difficult question happiest place in the I I mean anywhere that I am where I'm with my dogs I think sorry family sorry friends sorry boyfriend (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but um 
usually that's my bedroom but like my bedroom's changed a lot over time like I haven't had one constant place I think like anywhere with my dogs if I'm in bed like watching tv with my dogs that's like my most content place I like that the thing is with that question is that everybody takes it in their own way so you mm. said it's when you're with your dogs somebody else would say oh it's at this specific place in this country when I was on holiday well, I find it so interesting but yeah <laughs> cats or dogs dogs summer or winter summer 100 percent. i'm so happy we're having the sunny weather at the moment i know like i'm buzzing to go out for a walk later like it's it was a bit chilly when i went out because again this is so sad like adult life but I, I hung out washing in the garden earlier and i was like oh it's a bit chilly yeah no it is colder today but it's still nice I went out on a dog walk this morning I was like oh my god it feels like summer (laughs) yeah (laughs) talking or texting talking day or night uh I'm gonna say night because I'm so much of a night owl as much as I try and change it I just find there's so much peace at night because everyone's asleep like I actually find it easier to work at night which is really bad, but I just feel like there's no one bothering me at that time. So yeah. Beach holidays or city breaks? Beach holidays all the way. I agree. That'd be my answer. And finally, vinyl or cassette? Vinyl. I think they're prettier and I just think, yeah, they they look nicer. They're cooler as well. Like cassette, I don't know. They might be cool in the future like you know how all these things are coming yeah, back yeah. from from the past that are now like seemed really cool that we had when we were growing up um but I just think yeah vinyl is a lot nicer I'm secretly hoping that CDs make a comeback at some point because I've got a shit ton of really? them in the <laughs> yeah oh my god because <laughs> I, I swear like so many people that had CDs just literally like ditched them like got rid of them didn't they because mm-hmm. you don't need them anymore mm-hmm. Mine, yeah. I've got literally a massive box like this in the loft I'm just thinking maybe 50 years time they'll make a comeback make a killing (laughs) yeah no honestly I think hold on to them because you never know what's going to be popular like I wasn't expecting Ugg boots and flipping Crocs to come back this year but they did like now Crocs and Ugg boots yeah Ugg boots are back Ugg boots are back the short ones all the fashion girls on Instagram have them now and I literally sold mine last year when I was doing a clear out when I moved house and now I'm like oh well now they're trendy again so yeah you never know so hold on to them (laughs) well I got rid of again this is this is very sad like I I used to watch Towie back in the day the only way is Essex and yeah me too I, I, I love Joey Essex so do you remember when he went through that thing of like buying other boots and he got a smart car and stuff like that? Oh my god, yes, I do. I I, I yeah. bought other boots. I bought other boots, but because women's ones were cheaper, I bought women's you. ones. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And I was like, I got rid of mine two years ago because I was like, I'm never uh... going to wear these again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we all did. We all had a clear route and saw our Ugg boots at the back of the wardrobe and was like, well, they're never going to come back. No. And now here we are. Everyone's buying Ugg boots now. Yeah. I could have been so cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. You don't need Ugg boots to show people you're cool. You're the first person that 
it didn't record and came back on and you've been so lovely and so open so thank you so much no thank you for having me I've really enjoyed chatting to you both times um, right. and I hope to chat to you again three hours it's been amazing <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I've used up three hours of your life no um, it's fine this is what I love talking about so and I love that you're so passionate about it as well so it's my pleasure yeah thank you have a lovely day and have a lovely weekend thank as well thank you Speak soon. Speak soon. Cheers. Bye. bye. Thank you so much to Maddie again for coming on the stress sessions and for making all of that time to record or re-record the podcast again after the first one didn't record. That has never happened before, and I really, really hope it doesn't happen again. And that sort of thing just absolutely fills me with anxiety. So not a great thing to go through. But we did it and it's it's out and you're listening to it. So yeah, let me know what you think. I have said this a couple of times over the last few weeks, but if you can take the time to review the stress sessions, give it a rating. If you're on iTunes, if, is iTunes a thing anymore? I don't know. Apple Podcasts, that might have replaced it. Or on Spotify, Deezer, CastBox. Just pop me a little review. Give it five stars if you, if you want to or can. That'd be great. Um, and yeah, have a lovely, lovely week. What I will say before I go is that I am not an expert. I'm not an expert in the field of mental health and neither is Maddie. So all of the stuff that we talked about on this podcast is of our own opinion. If you do need professional help, please, please click on the link that's in the podcast notes and you'll be able to get all of the helpful information and advice Um, if you're suffering with a mental illness but that is all for this week and i'll be back again next monday with another great podcast have a lovely week and i'll speak to you soon